This is from Matthew. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 1, verses 1 to 17. The genealogy of Jesus. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar, <coughs> excuse me. Perez the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram, Ram the father of Aminadab, Aminadab the father of Nashon, Nashon the father of Salmon, or was it Salmon? Salmon the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Solomon, the father of Rehoboam. Rehoboam, the father of Abijah. Abijah, the father of Asa. Asa, the father of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat, the father of Jehoram. Jehoram, the father of Uzziah. Uzziah, the father of Jotham. Jotham, the father of Ahaz. Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah. Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh. Manasseh, the father of Amon. Amon, the father of Josiah. And Josiah, the father of Jeconiah. And his brothers at the time of the exile to Babylon. After the exile to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel. Shealtiel the father of Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel, the father of Abihud, Abihud, the father of Eliakim, Eliakim, the father of Azor, Azor, the father of Zadok, Zadok, the father of Akim, Akim, the father of Elihud, Elihud, the father of Eleazar, Eleazar, the father of Mathan, Mathan, the father of ja Jacob, and Jacob, the father of Joseph the husband of Mary, and Mary was the mother of Jesus, who is called the Messiah. Thus there were 14 generations in all, from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile in Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Messiah. Have you ever looked into your family tree? My auntie Gladys is in her 80s now, so this year she wrote down everything she could remember about our family tree, so on Grandad's side, there were cousins lost in World War I and at Dunkirk. There was a chef, there was a designer, and there were cotton mill workers. On Grandma's side, she had a cousin who was a clergyman, and his brother was a hairdresser who was president of the Hairdressers Association. Lots of interesting stories. And looking up your ancestry can be interesting, can't it? And there's a whole industry spring up around it, and TV shows like Who Do You Think You Are? But a list of names, it's kind of a different way to start a book, isn't it? And start a talk series. Because we're starting this new series, A Very Different Christmas, looking at Matthew's account of Jesus' birth. But whilst finding out your own ancestry can be fascinating, reading someone else's, well, it's not the most exciting way to start a book, is it? Well, today I hope to show you how, for Matthew's original hearers, this was like, more like the opening of Star Wars or James Bond. You know, if you know those films, just hearing those opening bars of the music opens up a whole world, a whole backstory and context 
instantly setting in, in place what is about to come. So my family tree doesn't have much of a bearing on who I am today, and it certainly doesn't make any difference to your life. But Jesus' family tree will show us how he is absolutely central to God's plans for you and for me and for all humanity. That Ancestry TV show is called, Who Do You Think You Are? Well, what Jesus' family tree tells us about who Jesus is directly impacts what our lives are all about, about who we really are. So I've broken today's talk up into three different headings, um, a very different plan, a very different family history, and follow the very different king. So a very different plan, a very different family history, and follow the very different king. And it'd be good to have, if you had uh, Matthew 1 open in front of you, because I've not got slides for you. So first then, Jesus' family tree shows us God's very different plan. So have a look with me at verse 1, which sums up and gives us kind of the headline for what follows. It says, This is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. So those opening words, this is the genealogy. In the Greek translation of the Old Testament that Matthew's readers would have had, those are also the opening words of Genesis. So immediately Jesus' story is set in the context of the big picture, the whole history of creation, humanity and God's plans for it. So Genesis starts with the genealogy of creation, the origins of creation. God said it was good and then he creates humanity and God says we're very good. But then we rebelled against what was best for us, against God's abundant over-the-top provision of everything good for us in a good relationship with him and we traded all that in for our own self-rule instead of submitting to God's good and loving authority and every one of us has been doing that ever since so the next genealogies in Genesis the family trees of humanity have a repeated line time and time again as we face the consequences of our sin this repeated line, and then he died, and then he died, about 50 times in Genesis. So Matthew's gospel is actually starting with a bang, with new beginnings, with something as fundamental to God's plans as creation itself. So whatever is to come in this story, it's got to do with that bigger ancient story. And it's got to do with you and me. Next in verse 1, Matthew's Gospel is about Jesus the Messiah. Well, some translations have the Greek version of that, Christ. So, he, uh, Messiah or Christ wasn't Jesus' surname. It means anointed one. So, God had promised through the prophets that he would send a descendant of King David as an eternal rescuer king to bring back God's full rule and complete justice a new forever king for a new forever kingdom and you find reference to this loads of places in the Old Testament so here's one for you it's from Isaiah chapter 9 
verses 6 and 7, Isaiah chapter 9. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. So Matthew's whole biography of Jesus is seeking to show us how Jesus fulfills the Old Testament and how that proves that he really is this anointed one. And this genealogy is uh, Matthew's introduction to that idea in a kind of zoomed out macro scale. Matthew is showing us that Jesus is the real deal. And the genealogy itself covers three main phases in God's dealings with humanity. Excuse me. I'm filming this outside and it's hot out here. Three main phases in God's dealings with humanity. So verse 17, uh, Matthew kind of actually massages the genealogy a bit to give it a symmetry of 14 generations between key people and events. So Abraham to David, David to the exile, and the exile to Jesus. So first, verse 2, Abraham. So in Genesis, humanity's sin had caused chaos and destruction. But in his mercy, God didn't give up on us. He chose one man, one man who would become one family, who would become one nation. God decided, just because that's who he is, not to give us the destruction we deserve, but to bless all nations, the whole world, through this one man's family nation. So Genesis 12, chapter 2. God promised Abram, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. And then further on in Genesis 22, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies and through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. All nations, that's you. And that's me. People will say, this idea of a Messiah, well, that's all very nice for the Jewish people uh, if he does eventually turn up. Just like Muhammad, he's nice for the Muslims, Buddha's nice for the Buddhists, and I'm all right for me running my own life. Thanks very much. But Matthew's genealogy here tells us that this good news isn't about a particular tribe or nation or culture. Abram was the father of the nation of Israel, but Israel was never just about Israel. They were made a people by God in order to bring his blessing to the rest of the world, to bring back his good, loving and just rule, restoring us into right relationship with him. That was the big picture plan for Israel. So Jesus' authority and kingship is over all the universe over all people, all cultures. So whatever's going on in Matthew's Gospel isn't just relevant to Jews waiting for the Messiah. It's relevant to all nations who God plans to bless 
through Abraham's offspring. So then in verse 6 we come to the next phase, King David. God appoints a king over Israel and promises him a forever throne. And for a little while, things look great. David's son Solomon loves and obeys God, brings Israel to great prosperity, grows her borders, rules wisely such that other nations come flocking to Israel to find out about their great God. But Solomon goes off the rails and two generations later, the kingdom is split. Yet still hope of a future king. There's still hope of a future king to restore God's rule. There are scriptures like Psalm 72 where the language seems to go beyond what any earthly king could achieve. Matthew's helping us here to see that Jesus is this king in David's line. Now, a common objection to the Bible, usually by people who haven't actually read it, is that it's got lots of discrepancies and contradictions. Now, all of them can be easily explained. Apparent contradictions are not contradictions, they can be explained. And one of them is how Matthew's genealogy is different to the one in Luke's Gospel. And that's because Luke is following one legitimate way of writing the genealogy, uh, outlining Jesus' biological genealogy, whereas Matthew is using another legitimate method, emphasising Jesus' legal claim of being part of the royal line of David and his connection back to Abraham. So both are legitimate genealogies. They're just interested in different things. So verse 11, verse 11, we get to phase three, exile to Babylon. We've had Abraham, David, now Babylon. See, the great shame in Israel's history at this point was that they were so persistently disobedient, so evil, that God had them taken off to Babylon in exile, in complete humiliating defeat. The temple destroyed, the promised land taken off them. It seemed like God's patience had finally run out. Yet again, hope still remained. God promised through the prophets to restore Israel, not just to former glory, but to even greater glory. And that integral to this restoration will be one from David's line. So in Jeremiah 33, we read, in those days and at that time, I will make a righteous branch sprout from David's line. He will do what is just and right in the land. In those days, Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will live in safety. This is the name by which it will be called, the Lord our righteous saviour. So by the time Jesus comes along, Israel have been returned to the promised land. But for the last 500 years, they've either been ruled or occupied by another nation. I haven't heard from the prophets for hundreds of years and so they're desperate for their Messiah to come and rescue them to restore Jerusalem to this greatness. And it's into this context that Matthew introduces to us Jesus, placing him as the promised king with all authority around who, around who history hinges. Let's just stop and think about that for a moment. Um, if you aren't a believer, did you know this is the size of Christianity's claim? That Jesus isn't just a good example or a good teacher, that he's your king and that he will rule over, with, over you. 
And that can be with you as his loyal subject, or it can be with him in judgment over you as a rebel against him. But the good news is Jesus is a good king. You can trust him with your life because he gave up his life for you to save you, save all of us from what we deserve. And for all of us, this year's more than most made everything feel a bit wobbly, hasn't it? In this very different year, we've heard so many different voices about COVID, about elections, about race relations, vaccinations. And it seems like for everything that's said to be definitely true, there's a whole host of people to tell you that it definitely isn't. But when it comes to what's most important, Matthew is here to help us have solid certainty. Someone is in control. Someone is in charge. Someone is definitely, definitively, objectively true and in authority. And that's God's anointed one, his rescuer, servant king, Jesus. You owe him your allegiance and you can trust him with it. He won't let you down and he won't get it wrong. And we see that if we look a bit closer at what is a very different family history. Our next section, a very different family history. When I was looking into my genealogy, I discovered that one of my ancestors was a film star. So this is my grandma's cousin, I think, Sir Seymour Hicks. Apparently, he gave Alfred Hitchcock his first directing job, and he was most famous for playing Scrooge um, in the 1935 film. He was who you thought of as Scrooge before Alistair Sims came along. But the thing is, my auntie Gladys said that far from being bragged about, Uncle, cousin Seymour Sims was never talked about in the family because he was renowned for his, as she put it, womanising. He sounds like he was a bit of what the Brits used to call a cad and a bounder. Well, similarly, this Christmas, you might have certain subjects that you don't bring up with certain relatives because you can know it can only lead to hurt or trouble. Well, in Matthew's genealogy, he doesn't mind dusting off and putting on full public display all Jesus' dirty family washing. Included in there is a bit of a, a rogues gallery of the Bible. Not the characters that you would include if you were just making this stuff up. So let's whiz through a few. Tamar, we're mentioning her, reminds us of the great moral failure of Judah. This is the bit you miss out when you in from Genesis, Genesis um, when you're looking at Joseph, because it's a bit R-rated. See, Tamar was a prostitute used for pagan worship. Judah slept with Tamar, his daughter-in-law, not realizing that it was his daughter-in-law. Rahab, she was a foreign prostitute. Um, and verse six, Matthew points out Solomon's mum Bathsheba, who is Uriah's wife, reminding us that David committed adultery with her and indirectly got her husband bumped off. Now, it could have left it, um, Solomon's mum out of it. Why bring her up? Solomon, famous for his wisdom, but also famous for worshipping the idols his many wives worshipped and falling into ruin. Verse 7, Rehoboam, responsible for splitting the kingdom of Israel. 
Manasseh, such a bad king, he led his people into even worse evil under child sacrificing pagan nations around them. So Matthew keeps dropping a right load of clangers that he didn't need to. Why? Well, he wants to show us that despite humanity's best efforts to stuff everything up, to pridefully rebel against God, nothing will thwart God's plans, nothing will exhaust his grace, and he will always keep his promises. Matthew's shown us how wide the scope of the salvation God's promised king will bring, enough to sort out even the worst messes. Notice as well, Matthew highlights four mothers, four women who are Gentiles, not Israelites. So verse three, Tamar was a Canaanite. Verse five, Rahab, a Canaanite. Ruth was a Moabite. And verse six, Uriah's wife Bathsheba, a Hittite. So again, this underscores that God was never only interested in Israel and that this king is for all nations all cultures in the whole world. For each of those women, what was important wasn't their nationality or ethnicity. It wasn't even how morally upstanding or otherwise their lives had been. What ultimately counted was what ultimately counts for all of us, that they put their faith in God and it was their faith that, it was their faith that made them right with him. I had a friend who went for spiritual counselling. Apparently it involved seeking to break curses and whatnot from evil things that his ancestors had done. That's something we need to do. Well, the sins of Jesus' family tree wasn't what did him any harm, was it? But more importantly, none of us have to go looking at our family tree to find the source of everything that is wrong with us, do we? No. We only have to go as far as researching our own hearts. Jesus pointed out our sinfulness isn't an outside-in thing, it's an inside-out thing. So from Matthew 15, um, Jesus had been asked about why his disciples weren't doing ritual cleansing and things like that. Jesus said, but the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart, and these defile them. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. These are what defile a person, but eating with unwashed hands does not defile them. Matthew's genealogy of Jesus is showing us the scope of his rule and his salvation. It's for all nations and it's for all the sins of all our hearts. Nobody is too got far gone for Jesus. Nobody is outside his authority. All we need to do is follow the very different king. This is our last section. Follow the very different king. All added up then, Jesus' genealogy reminds us that God's people persistently failed dismally. They never quite became what they could have if they'd have stayed faithful. And they've ended up returned from exile, but still yearning for something better. And we can relate to that, can't we? 
this very different year has shown us just how wafer thin and flimsy the things we often end up putting our trust in can be. It's left us yearning for certainty and stability, for something better. What Jesus' genealogy shows us that despite all humanity's failures and unfaithfulness, God remains in control. His plans will not be thwarted. Rather, the promises they will be fulfilled by his rescuer king, and Jesus is that king. There is solid ground, there is certainty. Matthew's readers have been waiting for a hero to come and rescue them. Today, we know that hero is Jesus. He is the king who comes with all authority to save and to rule. So we can face all our difficulties, all our flaws and our failings, knowing that Jesus has the power and authority to deal with them and make us right with God. So perhaps if you haven't before, you could make this a very different Christmas by having a very different response to Jesus. Trust him, hand over the reins of your life to him and follow him. For those of us already Christian, how about having a very different 2021? <laughs> Whatever happens with COVID or anything else. A very different year that's different because we put Jesus in his rightful place of every area of our lives. No dusty corners, no taboo subjects, everything exposed to his rule. So ask yourself, am I building my life on Jesus? Are my New Year's resolutions about centering life on Jesus? Are the things I'm fearing things I can trust Jesus with? See, Jesus is very different news, good news. God has done something. God has given us a 100% effective vaccine to sin and futility. Life with Jesus as King.